Hello, and welcome to the Capital Compass Podcast. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. In this episode, I'll be talking with Alexis Kara Tracy of the Archdiocese of New York on the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization Supreme Court case. Today on the podcast, we are welcoming Alexis Kara Tracy. She is an attorney in the Office of Public Policy and Safe Environment at the Archdiocese of New York. She advocates for church teaching in the public square. And also, congratulations, you are recently married. Yes, thank you. Um, so we will be talking about the historic abortion case uh, before the Supreme Court last week. But first, can you just tell me a little bit about like what the public policy offices do, just to give listeners a better understanding? Sure. So the public policy office works closely with the New York State Catholic Conference, of course. But we advocate on behalf of church teaching in the public square. So there's a lot of controversial issues that have implications for the public, whether that might be abortion, assisted suicide, even other social issues that might deal with prison reform, healthcare, anything like that. So we focus on those issues and we discuss them from a Catholic perspective. And then there's often overlap, whether that's educational efforts to educate people on what the church teachings are, whether there's I don't want to use the term necessarily lobbying, but those types of efforts where we have contact with legislators, that type of work. And we're very passionate about that. And I've been doing that for several years now. That's a little of what we do. (laughs) Just just uh, yeah, just a little overview. I I know uh, both of us, I think our jobs encompass a lot more, but it's hard to. uh... I know. Narrow it down. Exactly. You are here today because we're going to be talking about the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. Um, It's been in the news a lot. Um, definitely hearing a lot about it. I know I was turned on the news last week when they were giving the oral arguments and, um, all over. So can you just, uh, tell listeners a little bit about the case? Sure. So as everyone probably knows, or we hope most of our listeners know, so Dobbs is a pending case before the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's focusing on a 2018 Mississippi state law that essentially bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And this 15 week is a significant mark because that's when a baby has a heartbeat, eyes that are opening, ears that can hear, the baby's able to move around and kick. And there's also growing scientific evidence that the baby can actually feel pain. However, it gets a little bit complicated legally because in spite of all this fetal development, the Supreme Court, at least currently, is still considers about 24 weeks of pregnancy to be the viability marking. And again, this viability term I'm going to use often, it's going to be important. So the Supreme Court is considering 24 weeks of pregnancy to be the viability marking. So 15 weeks of pregnancy is considered pre-viability. And associated case, which everyone knows about, is Roe v. Wade. And subsequently, subsequent cases like Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which determine the abortion law in the United States, Their understanding of viability is that, you know, women are generally able to have an abortion within the first 24 weeks of pregnancy because this is the pre-viability marking. But after that 24-week mark, then it's viability. So again, these are these distinctions. And as our listeners might anticipate, the Mississippi law is posing a challenge to Roe v. Wade with its 15-week pre-viability abortion ban. 
So the court is going to consider a very specific legal question in this case, and I don't want to bore everyone with the legal terms, but the specific question is, are all pre-viability prohibitions against elective abortions, like this 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi, are they unconstitutional? So I'm trying to do a lot and a little bit of a gist, but that's really the overview. Yeah. Thank you so much for summarizing that because I'm, you know, just as a general citizen, I've seen all these news reports and I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding towards this case and what these oral arguments for are for and all of that. So I know one of the common misunderstandings is that Roe v. Wade legalized pretty much all abortions, but that's actually incorrect, isn't it? Yeah. So Roe v. Wade... <laughs> is again, as I mentioned earlier, generally permits a woman to have an abortion for any reason up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. Because again, this is when the court, not necessarily the scientific community, but has considered the baby pre-viable. But technically speaking, Roe still is a bit extreme because the Supreme Court has said that a state can't ban abortion if it's necessary for for women's health. And that, you know, is defined so broadly. So technically speaking, even after 24 weeks, you could, there's, there is a legal argument that you could have an abortion for any reason up to the moment of birth, if it's necessary for a woman's health. But in the more traditional understanding, you know, Roe is construed that you can have an abortion for any reason up to 24 weeks. But after that is when it gets a little bit more dicey. Now, um, subsequent, there have, uh, since Roe, uh, the Supreme Court has also had some other restrictions, permitted other restrictions. So are there other subsequent decisions made after? Yeah. So important decision is the Planned Parenthood versus Casey, because that's technically the case that controls abortion in the United States. Now, again, Roe v. Wade gets all the attention because that really was the major first court case to set an abortion precedent, a legal precedent. But Casey is important here because the court in Casey clarified that the state cannot impose any undue burden. Again, this is legal language, but any undue burden on a woman's decision to have a pre-viability abortion. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit interesting. And I think it's also important to mention that there was a more recent case in 2007 called Gonzalez versus Carnhart. And that's where the court actually upheld a pre-viability ban on partial birth abortion. And that's, you know, a particular gruesome type of abortion, which, you know, the baby is killed and removed intact from the woman's body. So there there have been some pre-viability bans, abortion bans, and there are subsequent cases, specifically Casey and Gonzalez, that we do want to think about and consider when we talk about abortion, how the law has developed over time regarding restrictions. There's a lot of talk, a lot of chatter, obviously, about this whole case. But what do you think um, there's a chance of the court overturning Roe versus Wade? Yes, I think that there's real potential, but there's certainly not a guarantee. Now, I was listening and so many other legal nerds were listening to the oral argument on December 1st. And it's never, you know, an oral argument is always not necessarily going to be how the court is going to decide. But specifically based on that oral argument, it did seem that Justices Thomas, Alito, and Kavanaugh are leaning towards, you know, overruling the, the Roe v. Roe v. Casey even, like a Roe Casey type of precedent because they do seem to want the individual states to regulate abortion, which is how abortion was was previously regulated previous to Roe. So we do see, you know, Thomas Alito Kavanaugh 
we might, I, I would say that they're definitely leaning towards overruling Roe. However, the question is going to be, what do Justices Roberts, you know, Gorsuch and Barrett, what do they want to do? You know, because for a majority of, for a majority of opinion to overrule, you know, you would need five justices. You would need, you know, two of those justices that are more on the middle to join Thomas and Alito and Kavanaugh. Yep. But I also think, you know, we have to be honest about overturning what Roe, like what that would really mean. Now, it would absolutely be a major pro-life victory. But even if it were to be overturned, it's going to lead to a scenario likely would be in which, okay, the states are regulating it. So you're going to have abortion that's probably virtually unlimited in some states or unchecked in some states where it would be virtually outlawed in other states. So people have to keep in mind that even if Roe were overruled, it's not like all of a sudden abortion is going to be illegal in the United States, which would certainly be nice, but that wouldn't be the case. So we have to keep this a little bit more in perspective. So that's one of the possible outcomes here. Um, Do you have any other ones that I think, uh, I guess, to highlight to listeners of what other possible outcomes could be? Well, I think the most likely scenario is that the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban is going to be considered constitutional. I don't think that the court is going to rule that unconstitutional. I think their abortion ban is going to stand. But I do think that perhaps the Chief Justice Roberts and some of the other judges more in the middle are going to want to find a way for Roe to stand in a limited way. So maybe there'll be somewhat of a partial overturn of Roe or will be further, I don't know, further developed in some way. Yeah. And I I do want to mention again for our listeners, the technical aspect here. So the court really is only considering the specific question of are all the pre-viability prohibitions against elective abortions, are they unconstitutional? And there's absolutely no way that the court is going to say all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. So they have to say really that the Mississippi abortion ban, uh, you know, stands, but how can they finesse that with not really overturning Roe v. Wade? That's going to be the challenge. What I think though, that they might say that the Mississippi ban, it's a specific type of ban that's constitutional because it does not pose an undue burden. And that's what Casey case is alluding to. It's not, so it's not posing an undue burden on a woman's decision to have a pre-viability abortion since women can still have these pre-viability abortions anytime up to 15 weeks and very few abortions, less than 5% take place after that time. So that's just kind of a theory that I have. There's other people that have different theories, but that's kind of where I stand in terms of a, a prediction of what might happen. Yeah. So um, I guess a lot of like, I feel like every year there's always like some kind of abortion case or something. And this year also earlier, we had the Texas law that bans abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be heard. So how does that, does that figure into this case? Well, I guess the underlying theme of abortion. So you have the Texas heartbeat law, Dobbs case, or they're dealing both about abortion, but they're dealing with different issues. Specifically, the Texas law, in short, is going to is penalizing anyone who performs or aids in the prohibited abortion after six weeks of presidency. And in terms of how the law normally functions, so properly speaking, it's usually up to the government to enforce abortion laws. But with this Texas law, the process has changed since the government is prohibiting from from enforcing the law. And instead, any person can file a private lawsuit against any other person or entity who violates the law or tends to do so. So that's a very, very different. And I think ultimately the court is going to strike down the Texas law 
on procedural, probably not substantive grounds, and probably say it's illegitimate to delegate, you know, enforcement of abortion laws to private individuals as opposed to the state. And I do think there's overlap between the Texas case and Dobbs because there could be a risk of the court viewing, let's say, pro-life versus the pro-life cause as being a little bit devious. They're trying to sidestep more of the traditional or proper legal process in terms of enforcement. And this could have an impact or negative impact how the pro-life cause is perceived in Dobbs. So again, the Texas heartbeat law, it's saving unborn lives in Texas. It's doing a lot of good, but we still need to be cautious about it and cautious about supporting it in the sense that, you know, do we really want to support other laws that sidestep the normal legal process? Because these frameworks could then be used against us in other contexts. You know, would we really want a scenario in which private individuals have the ability to sue, let's say, the church over our refusal to recognize, let's say, same-sex marriages or gender ideology, or even for our refusal to refer women for abortions? So technically speaking, these cases are a bit distinct. They are dealing with abortion, but you could have some overlap in terms of how the pro-life movement is being perceived in the Texas case, and is that going to have a negative impact for the Dobbs case? Yeah, I, uh, I feel like a lot of people will kind of put them under the same umbrella, which is why I asked. Sure, yeah, that's a common common understanding, so I'm glad we were able to park it out a little bit. When do you think we can expect a decision for the Dobbs case? Well, the court is always, you know, has to leave us hanging. But really, I don't think we can expect a decision until the summer, probably not until June. I think the court will have made a decision before then, but it won't be publicly released because the Supreme Court, what they notoriously do is they decide controversial cases in June and then they go on summer recess. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think it definitely gives us a lot of time to pray and fast for Dobbs. And I don't think we should be naively optimistic, but we should be hopeful. We're chatting with Alexis Caratracy, an attorney for the Archdiocese of New York, and we'll be right back. Are you interested in staying up to date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org action center or texting CAN to 50457. Again, CAN, C-A-N, to 50457. Switching gears a little bit, uh, as a pro-life attorney and a Catholic, this must be a pretty exciting but uh, very tense moment for you personally. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I think it's exciting. I mean, abortion is just such an important issue, part of the pro-life cause. And then to be an attorney and focusing on this issue, it's been just really interesting to read the different legal arguments, to see where people stand, and then just even to think about how the case, you know, came into being. And there's just a lot of like legal ingenuity to get it to the Supreme Court. I mean, and if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, I mean, it's just a, a monumentous movement and like a monumentous moment in American history. And to be an attorney, to be part of that, to be involved, it's it's really, it's exciting and a privilege. I mean, it can be a bit strange again, being a pro-life attorney is not maybe the most, uh, it's not going to give you a lot of uh, street credit. I mean, you know, I don't know how, how employable I would be in other spheres now since I'm, since I'm so heavily involved in this, but you know, it, it's an exciting moment to say the least. Yeah. You know, that's, I, I feel like that's one of the things um, I can relate a little bit to, because I know when I, tell some people I work for the Catholic Church, they're kind of like giving me that look. But I think it's something great to uh, 
to really be passionate about and to believe in that um, and to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. To just understand what the church is teaching and then to advocate on behalf of that. And I think people need to think about, okay, the people may have different perceptions of the church, but the church really is fighting for, you know, the least among us, for the most vulnerable, for the unborn. And, you know, the church, even though people might view the church as, oh, they have all these rules that need to follow. You know, if the church has any rules, it's, a tr- it's for our benefit. So to be on that side and to fight for that, I, I think it's just, it's important. I'm very passionate about that. And yeah, you know, you're not going to have other uh, employment opportunities and people might look at you a little bit strangely, but it's a real opportunity and privilege. Yeah. The, I mean, the church is so much for the people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. One of the big things is, you know, for all these abortion rights advocates, you know, they're saying, especially um, us as, you know, younger women, they're saying they're fighting for us. Um, but this issue, issue isn't divided up as cleanly as many may think. Uh, so can you talk about the responsibilities, you know, for, as this being a Catholic podcast, but also just in general for uh, young pro-life women in particular, um, having to, you know, try to be proudly pro-life I, as, as we just talked about, it's, it's kind of hard. And, you know, sometimes we get looks um, for the association, even just with the, tr- at least I know, and I'm, I'm sure you do of the association with the Catholic church, but kind of, trying to live out that um, Catholic teaching and uh, being pro-life? Well, I think for women, I just kind of, like, I think it's important to understand and recognize the humanity of the unborn child. Because once you realize that's human, that's a person, things change because it's then it's not just about your personal life, but about another person involved. And I think a lot of women, you know, like to, to convince themselves that that's not the case. But I, But I also think that I don't know. This is like an angle that I like to view this issue. So people often say, or women might say in, in pro, you know, pro-choice fears that, okay, women need to have an abortion because having a child is going to prevent them from excelling or achieving some sort of goals. But I say, okay, you know, what, 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 what are we, what does that really mean? And what are we doing here in the sense that if we're saying that, okay, women, children are preventing women from excelling, why is it that the child should be eliminated from that? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be the circumstances in society, the harsh circumstances in society, let's say unpaid pregnancy leave, lack of childcare, single mother, let's say you're working in a ruthless corporate environment. Those are the factors that need to be eliminated. We should get, get rid of this, like, I don't know, paradigm or framework where it's like woman against the child, like anything that's contributing to that framework, that, that should be you know, eliminated. Not, not, you know, the, the mother versus child, you know, we're ad- in an adversarial relationship. So I don't know, that's just kind of what I believe. And I think it's important for young women, pro-life women to see things in that light and then to advocate accordingly. Yep. Yep. I mean, hey, we're living in the 21st century right now. Women can have kids, you know, have that great job, you know, successful career and, you know, have it all in a way. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think that the, the what's difficult in our society is that society is structured to make that very difficult. So then, you know, what we should be focusing on are eliminating those conditions that make it so difficult. Because, yeah, you, know, you could understand if you're very high up in the corporate world and then all of a sudden, let's say you have a kid or let's say you have multiple children, like, the corporate world is not 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 going to be uh, very happy that I have to go take some time off to take care of my kids, or I want to end my call at four p.m. to you know 
pick up my kids from school. So that mentality then sets into women where it's like, well, if I'm going to excel in my career, children are preventing me from doing so. And I want to have abortion as an option because, hey, men don't have to deal with it like I do. Mm -hmm. But again, that's just very, that's a bad, bad mentality, bad circumstances. And we as pro-life women have to work towards eliminating that. Thank you so much for coming on. And I guess, uh, do you have any last words about this Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case? I think I think we should all be following it. It's going to be an interesting decision, whatever the court says. I mean, I think it's probably going to cause controversy regardless. I mean, even if it's not overturning Roe v. Wade, you know, who knows how the, the pro-choice side is going to perceive it and how they will misinterpret it. And then who knows, they'll probably have some sort of other protests and rallies that all of a sudden, oh, now, now abortion is going to be so regulated, which is always going to be an issue for us to be on the watch for. But again, I think that we should be prayerful. We should pray and fast and, and we should be hopeful because I think something good is going to come from this. I mean, it's long overdue. Roe v. Wade you know, died in the 1973. I mean, this is what, like 50 years later. So yeah, just, just like uh, a lot of other laws, it's uh, quite outdated, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, it's outdated. And I think that there's, you know, there's, t- there's time, time for a change and we're hoping, praying for the best. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Jillian. This has been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast. And thank you so much to Alexis for coming on the show. It was an honor to have you. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be coming out with a new episode every other week. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to catch the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NYSCatholicConf and on Facebook at NYSCatholicConference. Thanks again and God bless.